you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We can put one in your hands. We'll pick up with where we left off. We're going to finish Hebrews 12 today. And we're starting in verse 18. Verse 18. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18. For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched, that burned with fire into blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. For they could not endure what was commanded. And if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. Boy, if Moses is afraid, everyone's afraid. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly of the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to the God, judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of the sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who speaks, for if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on the earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth and now has promised, saying, yet once more shake not only the earth but also heaven. Now this yet once more indicates the removal of those things which are being shaken as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that, that consuming fire would burn away anything in this room that is not of you. In our minds, Lord, remove the distractions, remove the enemy. Lord, let us hear from Jesus, the mediator of better things and a better covenant. Lord, remove me from the equation once again that myself and my brothers and sisters and anyone who doesn't know you as Lord and Savior would hear from you and definitely not from me. But Lord, we would hear from your word, for it is life, it is living, it is powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And so Lord, I ask for your anointing, your help, your strength, and may we all tremble in your presence in a good way, that we have a healthy reverence and fear of you this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. These last 12 verses are the crescendo of spiritual encouragement and admonishment to begin back with verse 1. You can go back and read the whole chapter and how it kind of flows. But remember in verse 1, you have this heavenly audience looking down, right? The witnesses. And it ends with us looking up to heaven. It ends with us looking up. <clears throat> Which makes perfect sense, given that our finish line <clears throat> isn't here on earth. It's in heaven where Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us. But we still have some laps to run, don't we? 
we still have some laps to run and portions of our course that are yet to be completed. And as we run, all the previous counsel, going back to verse 1, should be rolled up like a scroll. A scroll is shaped like a baton. And in our hand, so we're running with that scroll like it's a baton in our hand, and we actually have the Word of God right beside us, embracing and applying the counsel related to all those that went before us. Aren't you glad that Moses and John the Baptist and all these have set a course for us? Laying aside, remember, we're to lay aside all the sins, all the weights. Some of your weights are different than someone else's weights. We're to run with the endurance of Jesus. And we'll even see the fruit and the prophet, and this is always fun, getting chastened by the Lord. We don't like that, right? But we need it. We need his chastening. Our diligence in allowing prayer and the word of God to guide our path. Our commitment to prioritizing our lives based on, remember in last week's study, in, in holiness and pursuing peace on our path of righteousness. And remembering that making earth our heaven and living according to our flesh, like Esau did, is a path to destruction. Don't make this place your heaven. You should know by now that earth is not heaven, right? The news should tell you that. So we could think of these concluding verses as the final exhortation for our finishing kick. In addition to everything else laid out, this perspective that we just read is essential. Of course it's essential or God wouldn't have put it in here. Anything God puts in the Bible is essential. You just know that, right? That's why we go verse by verse. The whole counsel of God. Paul said, I've not shunned to share with them the whole counsel of God. The prior counsel will point to this culminating truth. And this truth will point back to the prior counsel. Does that make sense? In other words, this section points back to verse 1, and verse 1 points to this section. Both of them we want to understand. And what began with a therefore, you can look down in your uh, Bible, look at verse 1, back in verse 1, chapter 12. Therefore, what began with a therefore in verse 1 wraps up with a therefore in the conclusion here. Look at verse 28 and 29. You'll see verse 28, which can read as a, as a whole sentence, therefore. What begins with a therefore concludes with a therefore, and it emphasizes what to do and where to focus. What to do and where to focus. This closing therefore is centered on an eternal standing and what we've received. What you and I have received. What we've received on the inside of our souls. If you're taking notes, you see the title this morning. An unshakable kingdom. All the kingdoms of the world have collapsed eventually. You know, the sun never set on the British Empire. This empire of Genghis Khan, the Ming Dynasty, Alexander the Great, right? The Roman Empire, all the other empires, all the other kingdoms eventually collapse. Even the United States will eventually collapse. And you can see why. We turned away from God. But 
there's a kingdom that we're part of that's unshakable. Isn't that good to know? An unshakable kingdom. I'm glad I was born in America, but this is not my home. I'm passing through. Even if I live to be 95 like Mr. Jackson the other day, it's but a vapor, isn't it? We have an unshakable kingdom. And we're just going to look at two things this morning. We're having Lord's Supper uh, as well. We'll take communion together. But the first one I've titled, Know Our Place. Just two points. I have a bunch of points under those two points, but two points to look at. The first one, Know Our Place. Know Our Place. He speaks, you've not come to the mountain that may be touched and burned with blackness in verse 18, but in verse 22, but you've come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God. I haven't given this reminder in a while, but this epistle, remember, was written primarily, not exclusively, but primarily to who? Jewish believers in Jesus. Hence the name Hebrews. I'll never forget the time I heard of a pastor said that uh, he was talking to a guy who said that he uh, become a real student of the Bible, and he said, and he said, so okay, what's your favorite Old Testament book? He said, the Book of Hebrews. Yeah, but that's not in the Old Testament. It's a New Testament book. It's written to primarily, but not exclusively, Jewish believers. And you'll recall that uh, I'm going to take you for a little tour as we went through for just a second. We're getting near the end of the book, obviously the end of this chapter. But remember, back in chapter 3, it dealt with the rebellion of the children of Israel where? In the wilderness. Under the leadership of who? Moses. Moses had to deal with their rebellion. And it just broke his heart to see how rebellious and how complaining and how idolatrous the people who had been saved from Pharaoh just kind of turned on God in their hearts. Then chapter 4 paralleled the promised land rest that Joshua provided. Joshua took them into the promised land, that land of rest. But even in chapter 4 it talked about how that was inferior to the rest of who? Jesus, who is our rest. Chapters 5 through 10, that's a, a larger swath, chapters 5 through 10 demonstrated what? The priesthood of Jesus and his sanctuary in the heavens far exceed the limitations of the Levitical priesthood and the articles of service that are found in the tabernacle and later found in the temple. Even four-fifths of chapter 11 deals with the faith of Jewish patriarchs and other faithful saints of Israel. If you go back to chapter 11, most of them, post-Noah, deal with the faithful Jewish Israelite believers. So it's very common for the writer of Hebrews to use reference points that come from where? From the Old Testament, from the law. It's very common because he's speaking to a primarily Jewish audience which was raised under the Torah, and they understood these stories. They knew them from childhood. They knew which mountain he was talking about when he says burn with blackness. They know exactly what he's talking about. You tell someone else that's uh, you know, raised in a home that's maybe they're atheist or agnostic, hey, hey, what do you think about the mountain burn with blackness? They're like, what are you talking about? Is that a movie? Hollywood? But they knew what he was talking about. And the picture, starting in verse 18, it takes us back to the giving of what? What did Moses come down the mountain with in his hands? Two tablets of stone written by the finger of God. It takes us back to the giving of the law. The scene of God's presence at Mount Sinai 
after the children of Israel had been rescued by God out of Egypt. And the writer takes us back, if if you're a note taker, it takes us back to Exodus, and you can look at chapter 19 and chapter 20, and that's where you'll see this same scene, chapter 19 and chapter 20, where they're all gathered at the foot of Mount Sinai. And what we have here is a contrast, though, Uh, In verses 18 through 24 of chapter 12 here, we have a contrast in uh, verses 18 through 24 between two mountains, two mediators, two covenants, and two assemblies. You have a huge assembly of the children of Israel, but we see another assembly here up in heaven. We have Moses who is a mediator, but Jesus is the better mediator. I look forward to meeting Moses, but he didn't mediate our salvation. Great man, by God's grace. We have two mountains here, Mount Sinai, Mount Zion. But not just any Mount Zion. This is actually not Mount Zion of Jerusalem, which is a beautiful place. I've been to Jerusalem twice, but this Mount Zion is the Mount Zion up in heaven. And then we have two assemblies, we have, again, the assembly here on earth of Israel, uh, the children of Israel and the assembly in heaven itself. The children of Israel, they had been brought out from the grip of Pharaoh to do what? To worship God. He said, Moses said, I will take them out so we can go and worship and, and sacrifice unto the Lord our God. But the fullness of God's plan was still unfolding when Israel escaped Egypt. That's not the end of the story. They, when, as a matter of fact, when they got out from under Pharaoh, they didn't even have yet the Passover, which would later become what we're going to do today, the Lord's Supper, right? None of that was even revealed yet. It was just, they had just been, their shackles had been taken off. And by the way, in your life, your shackles, if you're saved, have been taken off, but God still has an unfolding plan in your life that has yet to take place. Right? I, I, I mentioned me taking a, a three-week rest. Part of that is God's unfolding something that he wants to do in me, and he wants to do things in you. And so you have to say, all right, Lord, at the stages on the path, what is it you want to do? The fullness of God's plan was still unfolding. They had escaped Egypt But they escaped Egypt, and some of you that are not nature lovers, they ended up in a barren desert full of serpents, scorpions, no water, no food, blazing hot days, cold nights, and you can see why in their flesh they turned on Moses and said, what kind of leader are you? And twice Moses left for 40 days. What? And he's not even coming back. They got angry at him. And they sinned even more than they were already sinning. But the covenant that God was about to introduce, we now understand it as the law. It's also called the law of Moses. And the law was given uh, to Moses, who then gave it to the people. God gave it to him, he gave it to them. Moses was the mediator. But God came down, if you go back and read, we don't have time to read this morning, if you go back and read Exodus Exodus 19 and 20, God came down and rested upon Mount Sinai, and he spoke directly to the people. 
but he came down in great power. You know the book of Job, it says, all the things you see are the mere edges of his ways. Like, if you've ever seen, like, recently, um, let's see, back in, I want to say January, remember the volcano that erupted in the Philippines? And there was, like, just, it was, it was, it was exploding. There's lightning in there, and everything is just is unbelievable. The power, it's like hundreds of atomic bombs' power erupting from one volcano. But even that is the mere edges of God's ways. I remember the first time I was an 18-year-old in high school, and I went to the Grand Canyon. First and only time I went to the Grand Canyon. We went after my senior year, a bunch of us, and, we, and I, I, had no, I had seen it on TV many times. But when I got to the edge and looked over, 18-year-olds aren't impressed by nature, but it took my breath away. I just really like, and that's a mere, it's the mere edges of God's ways. Just the edges of his ways. But God came down in great power. And he rested upon the mountain, the Bible says, as a raging fire. A raging fire. Remember, he spoke to Moses as what? A fire and a burning bush. But here, the fire was way bigger than a bush. It was the size of the mountain, at the top of the mountain anyway, this raging fire that rests upon the mountain. And he came with thunder, and he came with lightning, and the earth quaked and shook. I know, I, we, had some friends, we have some friends that live uh, down in Charlotte, or, or down in North Carolina, and they had an earthquake this morning. I didn't know that, but when I'm texting my wife, she said, our house just shook. Well, the earth was shaking. Smoke was ascending from the mountain like an inferno. This is how God came down. He did not come down like Jesus walking on the Sea of Galilee or around the He came down with great power. And this was not seismic activity. This was literally God showing up and shaking the entire mountain in unlimited power. And while all this was happening, the fire, the thunder, the lightning, the earthquake, then a loud trumpet starts blowing. Maybe an angel, we don't know, but this loud trumpet starts blowing, and the Bible says it gets louder and louder and louder. If you've ever been in an earthquake, how many of you have ever been in an earthquake? I've been in three now. Okay. I don't care if you've been in one. When, when, as soon as it happens, it gets your attention. You're like, is this the big one? <laughs> you, you just don't know what it is. And the first time I felt one, I immediately, in a, I've, uh, two of the three I've been in the East Coast, one was in Guatemala, and the, the first one I felt, I immediately, I'd never been in an earthquake, and I knew it was an earthquake. No one had to tell me, I just knew it. Second one, I was up in D.C. in the big one back in like 2011 that shook the whole East Coast. I was in a building, that, and I was like, whoa, this is the whole building shaking. Guatemala, we were one, everyone, uh, Trevor ran for the doorpost, and you know, the whole building started to shake there in Guatemala. But if you've ever been in one, they're usually like seven seconds. But if you've been in one, this was continuous. It just kept shaking. You can see how the people started, their nerves were on edge. It didn't stop. It kept shaking. And the, you think of the loudest thunderstorm. We were down in Florida recently, and the thunderstorm was so loud, I thought my eardrums were going to burst. So I had to literally hold my hands. That just made a weird sound. But I had to hold my hands over my ears and I was like, I had to protect them. Imagine if you have that kind of thunder, that kind of lightning, that kind of earth shaking, and it's not stopping. And the fire is ascending. God was getting everybody's attention. They were literally, the people were shaking now, trembling. You may know God controls tornadoes and uh, uh, hurricanes, 
But when one's coming your way, no matter how much you know God's in control, you still have a little bit of fear, don't you? Right. And so that's what they were feeling times a hundred. Because God was making, he was making the point with exclamation, the size of Alaska. He was really making the point. And all these things, nobody could run away from the mountain either. They had to stay there. They couldn't, but they also couldn't touch the mountain or they'd be shot with an arrow. Don't even accidentally fall on the mountain, you'll be shot and killed. In fact, they were just petrified. And even Moses, was, who knew God and talked to God verbally, was now shaking with fear, as Hebrews tells us here. But this is what Moses said in Exodus 20, 20. This is what God was doing. Moses said to them, do not fear, for God has come to test you, that his fear may be before you, and that you may not sin. I know God's a loving God, but I don't play games with, I try not to not take his presence in vain, say, Lord, humble me, keep me Keep me humble in your presence. I know you're in control of my life. I know you're the one that gives me breath every morning that I might not sin. You see, the law was given on Mount Sinai, and the law is given it saves us. Amen? The law, the law can't save you. It shows you you need salvation, but it's not salvation. The law is not our salvation. The law is proof we need salvation. So when Moses broke the commandments in pieces, he was demonstrating the fact that all of you are lawbreakers. And me too. And them. The law can't save us. It condemns us. But God sent his son Jesus to Mount Zion in Jerusalem, didn't he? There is a, there's two Mount Zions to understand. There's the Mount Zion in Jerusalem, and there's the Mount Zion in heaven. But God sent his son down from heaven, just like he sent Moses down with the law. Moses came down the mountain with the tablets. Jesus came down from heaven with salvation, with grace, with mercy. And he comes to Mount Zion in Jerusalem to be our perfection and our atonement. Look what it says. It says in, in the text, the spirits of just men made perfect. The law can't make us perfect. It just tells us we need the perfection of Jesus. In Colossians 2.14, it says, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that are against us. What are the handwriting? All the law and prophets. All the law and prophets were written out. The law itself was written, the Ten Commandments were written by the very finger of God. The only two times in the Bible we see that is Jesus wrote on the ground and God wrote on tablets. But all of those things... I don't need you to raise your hand on this. If I said, how many of you have kept every bit of the law? No one can raise their hand. Even though the rich young ruler tried to say he had. I've done all these things in my youth. But he hadn't. They were contrary against us. But he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Aren't you glad Jesus kept the law for you and me? That he took what we couldn't do, and he was the perfection. You see, the, it's the blood of Jesus that nullifies the need for all of the animal sacrifices, all of the temple sacrifices, all of those things that were required under the law. And before even the law, those same sacrifices were required. How do we know this? Look at the bottom of verse um, 
24 that speaks of better things than that of Abel. Well, Abel was long before the Levitical priesthood. He was the first man to ever die. He died a martyr's death at the hand of his own brother Cain, right? But he gave a sacrifice from the flock. What, what God is telling us here is that the blood was always required, that sacrifices were already, always required. But Abel's, Abel's shed blood, both of himself and of his flock, was not enough to save his own soul. He needed a mediator too. Amen? Abel needed a mediator. Aaron needed one. Moses needed one. Joshua needed one. All of them, all of us, needed that same mediator. It's the blood of Jesus. He is our sacrifice. And as the eternal Savior and our mediator, he brings us not to the Mount Sinai in the middle of the desert, not even to Mount Zion in Jerusalem, but the Mount Zion of heaven. Paul called it the Jerusalem above in the book of Galatians. The Jerusalem above. God brought us or say, God brought Moses up the mountain all alone. Jesus brings all the saints up to the heavenly Mount Zion, not alone, but all together. You see the difference? God took Moses up by himself, but Jesus takes all of us. Someday we'll meet him in the where? Clouds. And then we'll go on to this heavenly Zion that he's speaking of, the Jerusalem above, which will eventually after the millennium, will come down out of heaven like a bride adorned. The heavenly city will come down. This was the city, by the way, the same city that back in Hebrews 11, it tells us that Abraham was looking towards. Same city. Same mountain. He took his son to Mount Moriah, uh, which is also where Jerusalem and Zion is, but he was looking to a city whose builder and maker is the Lord. And so we will go up to that city, and when everything is perfected, that in heaven and earth will all come together. But he's saying here, this, this place is where God intends you to spend all eternity. In Ephesians 2.6, uh, it tells us this, raised up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in who? In Jesus, not in the law, not in Mount Sinai, not in Moses, in Jesus. In eternity future, do you realize we're already seated there? We're already there. You know, God's already seen the future. I'm already there in eternity future, but I still have to run my laps now. But in God who sits out of time, it's a done deal. Jesus was slain before the foundation of the earth in God's economy. Paul understood that. In eternity future, we're already there. We are, it says here, but you have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, verse 22, the heavenly Jerusalem, to the innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly of the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. You have to register to vote. You don't have to register for heaven if you've been born again. You are registered. If you've been born again, you are registered in heaven. We have a firstborn inheritance because of our second birth being born again. Let me say that again. We have a firstborn inheritance because of our second birth of being born again. Jesus said it this way. You, gotta love you can't do better than Jesus. That's what he said. Of all the things you can rejoice about, here's what he said to rejoice about. Luke 10, 20. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. 
If you, if you don't remember anything I say today, and that won't be hard, if you don't remember anything I say today, remember that Jesus said, rejoice that your names are written in heaven. When you feel like complaining this week, rejoice that your names are written in heaven. When you say, well, that went well, rejoice that your names are written in heaven. It's surer than the rising of the sun tomorrow that our names are written in heaven. A registered assembly of of glory. Think about it. We'll see nations, innumerable company of angels. The Bible you know, mentions angels here and there, but we'll see what kind of like what the shepherds saw, where the, all of a sudden the sky was illuminated with all these angels. But we'll, see, we'll be there with an innumerable um, group of angels and worship and all gathered in the presence of the living God. Let me ask you a question. Let me ask you those who are online. I'm speaking to those online as well. Are you registered? Is your place registered? Is your name written? Let's take a look at this last point, which is uh, verses 25 through 29. It starts at verse 25, says, see that you do not refuse him who speaks, and then it goes on, says, if, if they did not escape, we won't escape. Talks about the removal of the things that are shaken, and then the, the things which can't be shaken, that they'll remain. And then down in verse 28, 29, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. We've seen a number of strong warnings in Hebrews, and here's yet another. In fact, this is the fifth and final warning to those that name the name of Christ that potentially walk away and decide, I'm just going to do what I want now. Listen to me, brothers. Listen to me online. This is the fifth time God warns, don't mail it in. Don't pack it in and say, this ain't worth it. Everyone else is having more fun. I think I'm going to just go live in Sodom like Lot's family decided to do. Don't do it. Hold tight to Jesus because he's already holding on to us. Amen? What happens if everyone decides that, you know, you see America, you know, more and more, the Bible and Christians are the weirdest things on earth. So what? This isn't our home anyway. This is the fifth time he warns, if they didn't escape by turning their backs on God, neither would we. You can't lose your salvation, but as Pastor Chuck used to say, you can kind of toss it. <laughs> so I, I don't even know theologically, some of the things in scriptures where you actually will see two things like, Lord, how do I rectify this? Well, I know this. I can't lose my salvation as long as I refuse to let... If I even hold on to it by a thread, God will take care of the rest. So ultimately, you can't lose your salvation, but if you treasure it, you absolutely won't toss it. And just kind of, you know, how can we neglect so great a salvation? So the Bible's clear. It's the fifth time it says, stay close to the Lord. And he'll make sure that he keeps us. Do not refuse the voice of God. He said on the Mount of Transfiguration, he said, this is my son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear who? Him. Not Moses, not Elijah, not the apostles. Hear him. The same God that shook Mount Sinai and petrified the people, and he judged his own chosen nature of Israel. That's why I try and tell people in America, I said, you do realize 
that if God judged the apple of his own eye, Israel, and sent them into captivity into Babylon for many things, the slaughter of innocent babies, the not letting the land rest, uh, forsaking all the, uh, all the feasts, and everything else that they did, idolatry, sexual immorality, all this is America, right? All the same things that we have, they were doing. If God judged them, he will judge us. And if we decide like Demas, Paul said, Demas having loved this present world, Demas proved to be apostate because he would not remain in the faith. Now, the Holy Spirit won't let you leave as long as you're saying, Lord, I need your help every day. I need your help every day. I need your help every day. God will preserve you to the day of judgment. He'll preserve you to the judgment seat of Christ. But at the same time, he judges. And if he shook the mountain there, what the text is telling us is one day he's going to shake the whole world. Jesus said it in the, Mount, uh, in the Olivet Discourse. Uh, he's going to shake it just like a fig tree is shake, shaken. If you just like shake and all the, the, the figs start falling off, he's going to shake this whole world. The Bible tells us that someday every island will be moved out of its place. Someday he's going to be judging all those that are without Christ that have actually trampled on the blood of Jesus. But he's reminding those that claim Christ, and that's for you and me, don't leave the table. You know, we only take Lord's Supper once a month, although this month we're doing it today, and we're doing it next Sunday for those that are coming on the alternating week, so they also can participate in Lord's Supper. But he's saying, don't leave my table. Keep serving me at the table. Keep walking with Jesus, eating with Jesus, staying with Jesus. He won't forsake you, but we're also not to forsake him. He won't forsake us. Now, again, you can have a bad day, but it's different than saying, that's it. I'm I've, I've, you know, years ago, Billy Graham used to have a guy that served with him, and later the guy said, I'm not a Christian anymore. He became an atheist. Uh, you know, years, he, would, he went off and became some sort of, uh, I don't know, uh, atheist, and he even wrote articles and things like that, but he just said, not for me anymore. And I've met people that said, oh yeah, I used to be a Christian, but I, I, I gave up on all that. Well, they went out from among us, but they were never of us. Had they been of us, they would remain with us, as John writes in the book of 1 John. Keep serving, staying, walking in Jesus. We have a choice to either receive or refuse what God provides. Amen? You have a, cho you have a choice to, to come and worship today or not come and worship today. I think you chose wisely. Because God says, come. He wants his people to worship. In the wilderness, God provided for Israel's every physical need, didn't he? Remember, they went to this crazy barren place, and God provided them manna, water, protection. Even their sandals never wore out. It'd be great for my running shoes, but that doesn't happen. But uh, many there in the wilderness, they refused to give God thanks or to give him glory which is kind of like God handing manna directly to them and them just pushing it away, which is what they did in their hearts. They just pushed it away. They said, no thanks, but no thanks. We had it better in Egypt. Let us go back to Egypt. They had onions. They had, I don't know why they mentioned onions. They are pretty good in certain things, but they had mentioned all these different things. But then, and he, God sent the law, but then... 2,000 years ago, he sent his own son, didn't he? In John 6, 58, Jesus said, 
Yeah, you had manna. Your fathers in the wilderness had manna. But this is what he said of himself. This is the bread which comes down from heaven. He's pointing to himself now. He said this. He's pointing to his own body before it had actually been crucified. This is the bread that comes down from heaven. Not as your fathers ate manna and are dead, but he who eats this bread will live forever. Once you've eaten the bread of Jesus, why would you ever go back to the bread of this world? Why? Why would anyone mail it in and say, I've had enough of being born again, I want to be lost again? Why would anyone say that? But some people have said that. Well, they won't say it with those words. They just say it by returning to the world. The, the, the Peter talks about a, a dog returning to its own vomit, which is really nasty, isn't it? Why would anyone do that? Dogs are dumber, but, but people act dumb too, right? Sometimes dogs are smarter. But if we push Jesus away and ignore his commands, we're refusing the bread of life. We're refusing the bread of that gives life. We're refusing the voice and grace and mercy that he offers with salvation and continually offers in our sanctification. You and I are being sanctified even this morning. He's working out in us our salvation. Yes, it's secure, but he's still working it out. And Jesus, and Jesus said in John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice. We won't refuse his voice. We'll acquiesce to his voice. We'll obey. We'll listen. My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. It doesn't say you follow him perfectly. We talk about this all the time. I'll say it another thousand times before that. He doesn't say, well done, good and perfect servant. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. You're a faithful employee, but you're not a perfect employee. You're a faithful boss, you're not a perfect boss. You're a faithful parent, you're not a perfect parent. But God knows what faithfulness is, and pretty much we know what faithfulness looks like. Right? You wouldn't hire someone that wasn't faithful, but you're definitely going to hire some imperfect people because that's all we got to work with. But once Jesus saves us, we become followers. We don't, we don't get it right all the time. We skin our knees, but we don't say, I'm not following you anymore. To make that, This is what the writer is saying. This is the fifth warning. It's to consciously say, I'm done. I'm out. I'm going to go do my own thing. I've had bad days, but I've never said that to the Lord. Have you? I'm out of here. I'm not, I don't want to be born again anymore. No. His sheep hear his voice. He knows them. They know him. They follow him. That's why the warning is strong. If they didn't escape, we wouldn't escape if we were willing to say, I don't want this anymore. His sheep continually receive grace. Aren't you glad about that? He goes on to say in verse 28 29, we'll come bring this to a close. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace. His sheep are continually receiving grace. And his sheep, they're not going to be shaken by this corrupt world. And will not be shaken by the judgment of God. I'll receive the judgment seat of Christ for he'll judge my works, but not condemn me. Big difference, right? He'll say, this was wood, hay, and stubble. This one you did with the wrong motives that day, wrong attitude, but this was done in the purity of the Holy Spirit. And there'll be rewards. But I won't be shaken by the judgment of God, and neither will you if you know the Lord as Lord and Savior. And there's that amazing grace all through our life. His grace has saved your soul. Permanently saved your soul this world can't touch your soul. And even when we die, our soul won't stay here. The world is a physical thing. The soul is not. It's 
spirit, the, um, back to the first point that we looked at, our soul, our spirit and our soul is registered in heaven where nothing can be tainted, nothing can be corrupted, nothing can be shaken, but it's eternally protected by God. Therefore, and here's that second therefore, therefore, verse 20, therefore we're receiving, we're receiving the unshakable kingdom of Jesus where? In our hearts and souls now, because I don't see the walls of the kingdom just kind of rising up around us, but I do see the kingdom rising in the people of God. As I've said before, most of the church in the pandemic has either stayed right where they're at and in some cases, sadly, is cooling off. But I see a remnant where the kingdom is rising in them. I pray that's you, that the kingdom is actually rising in a remnant. That's why I believe we have a great work of God that is maybe just right around the corner, but we're receiving this uh, unshakable kingdom and someday we'll receive it in glory. That's why Jesus said to pray this way, Thy kingdom what? Come. Thy kingdom come. We'll someday receive it in glory. And that's why he's gone to prepare a place for us. In fact, we actually will come back down with him. And that'd be great. On white horses. I got a white, I don't only register, but there's a white horse registered for me. And so you too. Don't worry about it. if you've never done equestrian, you're going to be an expert right out of the gate. You don't have to know any of that stuff. It'll all be taken care of. But we can live like a citizen of heaven now. Amen? We can live like a citizen of heaven now. We're supposed to. That's why he's written this. He's like, act like your registration. Live like your registration. Why? Because of grace. And only because of grace. Because you and I aren't, there's nothing good in us. It's only because of grace. Grace is supernatural, but it's promised to us to help us to serve acceptably and with the reverence to his name. Grace will remind you that God is a consuming fire. Grace will remind you, oh yeah, I'm registered in heaven. Grace will remind us, oh, I shouldn't refuse the voice of the Lord in this area. Grace is always our help, and God alone is the source of grace. God alone. Our faith and obedience, it keeps us plugged into the outlet of his grace. The saints of old, they knew this. David Brainerd, I quoted him last week, I, I quote him again. He says, never think that you can live to God by your own power or strength, but always look to and rely on him for assistance, yea, for all strength and grace. You can't live by your own power. You don't have enough goodness to, to get it right. We need God's grace to run our race, don't we? We need God's grace to run a race till his kingdom comes in victory and glory. And as we close here, you're all familiar with those images. Have you seen those images that are a bunch of computer images, but when you stitch them all together, it's like a big uh, a face of like Martin Luther King or something like that. But it's a bunch of little images, and somehow it's just the eyes and the shadows. Have you seen these things? It's really cool how they do it. And they take all these computer images and they make a picture. You can make a building out of people's faces and, and it looks exact from a distance. It looks just like it. Well, I think that something similar is happening in the body of Christ. As you're running your race and I'm running my race, God weaves it all together and our individual races are becoming the actual bricks and the foundation. As the kingdom is coming down, God's going to fit it all together. It's an invisible work because it's done by what? The Holy Spirit. And I think that he's doing that. 
in us. And he's doing that throughout the body of Christ. And our individual laps, they're overlapping, and this individual kingdom, which is unshakable, is being birthed in us. And that's what he's saying. He says, you're receiving a kingdom which can't be shaken. So he's saying, hold on tight, keep running those laps, and know that nothing can derail you if your eyes are on Jesus and you're walking in his grace, daily receiving his grace. We can be unshakable because Christ is unshakable. His promises and his grace is enough. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Father, we just thank you again that we're easily shaken in our flesh, but you've given us a newness of life Literally, the Spirit of God lives within us now. And Lord, if the Spirit isn't shaken, the same Spirit that rested on the mountain, the same Spirit that sustained Jesus in the wilderness, the same Spirit that flowed through the apostles, the same Spirit that came upon Samson, the same Spirit that gave David victory over Goliath, Lord, the same Spirit that gave Peter the power to heal all of that. Lord, you live within us now. And we can be, even in all of our weakness and anxieties and all of our issues, Lord, by your grace and by your spirit, you purify us, you re-strengthen us, you refresh us, and you make us, Lord, unshakable, not because of us. We're like a burning flax, but you strengthen us to make us like steel. You train our hands for battle. And Lord, all of this is because, and only because, Jesus and the blood of Jesus that's better than the first covenant. And we thank you for it. With our heads bowed for just a moment, you know, we're going to partake of the uh, Lord's Supper. And uh, just like we've been doing in previous weeks, um, I just want to let you know, actually you can look up for one second. Uh, we have these new communion elements that um, everything's self-contained. Uh, the juice is already in there. The bread's on top. It has one little layer that opens the bread. It has a layer underneath um, so if you have dexterity issues, uh, we have guys with gloves and masks on that are, are, are glad to help uh, hit your little uh, tabs there. Uh, be careful. Don't jerk them too hard and get grape juice all over yourself or something like that. Be, uh, be ever so, and, and maybe open them towards the, the gray carpet will survive anything here. So uh, as you can tell, it's not the greatest. But um, uh, so, you know, we've got these elements, and, and when the worship team begins to play, uh, you know, this section maybe first over here, and this section second over here, and this section first over here, and this section second over here. And you'll serve yourself, and like I said, everything is self-contained. Uh, Amazon delivered it, so whoever touched it from Amazon, uh, then you, you have them to blame. But uh, um, I'm just kidding. You know, it's funny because everywhere I go, everyone's wearing a mask, and everything they touch, they touch and hand to me, and I'm like, okay. Uh, I know it's not touchless because I just saw you touch it. So, uh, but uh, we're doing our best here uh, to to follow along with all the things that are out there that uh, are uh, inconsistencies. And uh, but praise God, uh, you know we just read this passage, and we get to remember now the very new covenant, the better covenant that speaks of better things than Abel. So I'm going to pray, and uh, and then. The worship team's going to play, and as they play, you can, again, uh, this group first, then y'all second, this group first, then y'all second. And if you have any issues at all, just raise your hand, and one of the guys with masks and gloves will be glad to help uh, tab it for you, because it's two tabs. 
And hopefully that made, hopefully I made that clear. So let's pray, and then we're going to partake of the elements together in just a few minutes. Lord, we just thank you, Jesus, that not only have we uh, received your word, and not only have we worshiped, but Lord, now we'll partake in something that you told the church to continue to do until your return. And as often as you do this, in remembrance of me. And so we want to remember the perfection that we were made perfect because of your blood, because of your sacrifice, because of you conquering sin, death, Satan. And so, Lord, we just want to ask now as we enter into this time of communion, Lord, you'd bless it. Search our hearts, Lord. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We're so grateful that you give us grace. Daily we need it. And uh, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Worship team, once you play and we'll let people get their elements. If you're at home, I hope you have them. If not, you can join us next week and be ready either here or at home. Jesus, you are mercy. Jesus, you are justice. Jesus, you are worthy, that is what you are. You died alone to save me, you rose so you could raise me. You did this all to make me a chosen child of God. And worthy is the for just a moment. Um, anyone watching online or anyone here that says, you know, I, I haven't first come to Mount Calvary. I haven't come to the foot of the cross yet.
I heard what you said about Mount Sinai, that it was a raging fire and people were petrified, but it was a testament to the wrath of God and the power of God to have the people turn to the mercy of God. And I did that 25 years ago. My wife and I on the same Sunday morning, we ran, <laughs> practically ran to the altar. It felt in my hearts we were running to the altar, but it took us a couple of years of battling with not wanting to surrender our lives, but we finally came to our senses and gave our lives to Christ. And if there's anyone here online, say, I feel that God is calling me to bow the knee and ask Jesus to cleanse me and receive his mercy. Just, just raise your hand. I want to pray with you. If there's anyone here, I can't see you online. God can, if you're watching online. And as I was talking the other night, I said, you know, as a pastor, I have to throw the life preserver out. I didn't make the life preserver. I just receive it and toss it out. And that's, is anyone here at all say, I, I want to give my life to Jesus? Or if you're online. And if you are, I just want to pray with you. If there's someone online that has raised their hand in their living room or they've stopped, whatever they're doing, said, I want to stop running from God and run to God and receive his mercy and receive his grace. Just pray, Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for my sins. Please take me, cleanse me, wash me, forgive me, fill me with your Holy Spirit, register my name in heaven, write my name in the land's book of life, for I've decided this day to follow you, Jesus. From this day forward, help me to walk in your grace. And I ask this in the precious, risen name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Does anyone online, if you've done that, send us a note at questions at calvarychapelrva.com. And just even as we were singing, I just felt Lord impressing. Make sure, throw out the life preserver. There might be someone that heard all that message of 12, uh, Hebrews 12, but they, it's not for them yet until they receive. Just like we have to keep receiving and not refusing His voice post-salvation, there's that initial point where we have to say, Lord, I come. Amen?